From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. So we're in a short series over the next few weeks. We're going to take a break next week, obviously. But we're talking about spiritual gifts, and we are not speaking so much on the details of what each spiritual gift are, but we're talking about how do we discover and develop and deploy the gifts and grace that God has given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And my hope is that as we chat a little bit about these gifts, that your hearts will be stirred to allow the Spirit of God to move through you in various ways. God has set before the church a task. And I don't mean Parkway Church, although we're included in that. The church, the people of God, the body of Christ, he's set before us a task to go and make disciples of all nations, to go and make, and the, the means and by which God equips the church to complete this task is the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in you, moving through you. The way in which God fulfills that task through your life is gifting you with the Holy Spirit that empowers you and moves through you in various ways. And collectively, when we bring those gifts together, both in the local expression and on the broader scale, we see this task completed. We see disciples made of all nations. We see the, the kingdom of God expand. And when we're speaking about the spiritual gifts, we're not talking so much about natural talents and abilities that we may have, even though those I truly believe are God-given and can be anointed by God. But we're not talking about how you just have a natural bent towards something. You're just really good in this thing here, over there. We're talking about grace that's been given to a believer through the Holy Spirit. So for example, for me, I have a musical ability, but I am not anointed in my musical ability. When I bust out the acoustic guitar, people don't weep in the presence of God, okay? Now, I believe that God has anointed me, that he uses me in leadership, in spiritual leadership. So while I'm leading worship, my, my musical ability may not be anointed, but my leadership can be, and therefore in those moments, God can move powerfully. But my natural ability is not the spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is the spirit in me. And when, the, when the Bible says you have an anointing, he's talking about the spirit of God. That's the gift, and he moves through you in various ways. That's what we're talking about when we speak about spiritual gifts. Last week, we talked about discovering our gifts, and we put forward some helpful questions to ask when, when we're asking the question, how has God gifted me, or how does God move through me? And today, we're talking about developing our gifts. So would you bow your head with me, and let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your presence is with us. Lord, I, I truly believe in my heart that it's so important as individuals that each day we're taking time to grow and walk with you, but there's something about when we come together, God, that is just powerful. We thank you for your presence here today. We thank you that we can come and we can worship and we can give you glory through song. And as we turn our attention now to, to, the, to the word, to this 
idea, God, of developing our gifts. I pray that you would speak. And through your presence and through your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each and every person here, God. And you would, you would you'd grab a hold of their heart, grab a hold of their mind, and lead them into discovering and developing, God, and really deploying, God, the gifts that you've placed in them through your Spirit. Help us to lean into the fact that you have a task that we as individuals are part of completing. So speak in the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. I like plants. That came out kind of weird. <laughs> I, I have an affinity. I've grown an affinity towards watching plants grow. And it started with a veggie garden and a, you know, kind of just growing fruits in your backyard. And, and we've literally in our home, if you came to our house and you went into our backyard, we've almost quite literally squeezed every square inch of space we can to have some sort of vegetable growing, fruit growing. You know, if, if I told you everything was growing, you'd think we'd have acres and acres of land, but we don't. We just have like a, a good sized backyard, but we got... I think it's four fruit trees now growing in there. We have three four-by-seven veggie gardens. We have a strawberry patch. We have raspberry patch. We have blueberries. We have blackberries. And it sounds like we're really self-sufficient. Like, you know, if the, if the world exploded, we would be the only ones surviving. But that is not the case because literally, quite literally, every piece of fruit or vegetable that comes from our garden gets eaten before it even makes its way into our home. You know, we, when we first planted, we have a Granny Smith apple tree that we planted, and this was the first year it bore fruit. It had seven apples on it, and we were super stoked. And some people had said, you guys are so self-sufficient. I'm like, yes, we can eat an apple for a week. One of us can eat an apple for a week. So self-sufficient. But that's where it really started for me personally is just watching these things grow in our, in our back garden. But it's since moved into like the, the flower and the houseplant territory. Now, before I'd kind of like scoff at that. I'd be like, that, that's not for me. And when I first met my mother's husband, he was into flowers and, and growing roses, and he does not seem that way. He's a very kind of man's man, but he was like, he'd pick flowers. I'm like, that just, that seems different to me. I just don't, but now I'm there. I, 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 I don't even care about the fruit. I just want to see the pretty flower grow and, and the tropical plant. I love tropical plants. Let's just pause for a moment. Because the tropical plants speak to me about this inner desire to be in the tropics. And I hope you're with me in that. I, I just have this affinity. I think that somewhere, God hear me, that he's going to call our family just to have a warm retirement set up. I don't know. I'm hoping for it. Maybe an eternity. But I love watching uh, things grow from seed to like this flowering masterpiece. And there's something supernatural about it for me. There's something supernatural about this whole process of, of taking a seed and allowing that seed to germinate and then it sprouts through and then it really comes to this beautiful, magnificent thing. And in the same way that that seed grows in my garden or in my house or in your garden, you're in your house, the same way that it germinates and then you see the little sprout, that little seedling pop through and then over time develop and maybe bear fruit. In the same way that seed grows, it's the same in the kingdom of God. Kingdom principle is everything in the kingdom starts on a seed level. Mark chapter 4, 26 to 29, Jesus said this, 
He said, the kingdom of God, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. And night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and it grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts his sickle to it because the harvest has come. So Jesus equates the kingdom of God to a man who scatters seed. And maybe if you've been around church long enough, you've heard some people share, I'm just scattering seeds or I'm just planting a seed or that's just a seed kind of been planted by God. Well, that's what Jesus uses. He uses this language, this agricultural language. And I think for two reasons. Number one is because the society that Jesus lived in was an agrarian society. You know, land production, cattle, sheep, seed, germinating, harvesting. This was the language that they knew and understood. And so in order for them to understand kingdom things, he used illustrations that they knew from their everyday life. But the second reason is God is a creator. And if you really take a look at creation, you see that God developed and created life in such a way that it is a self-perpetuating process a reproducing, a continuation of producing life through seed and development from plants and animals. Everything reproduces according to its kind. And everything grows in stages. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. And then those seeds grow, though the man does not know how. And when they're fully matured, he takes a sickle to it and he harvests it to use. And in that process, there's so much that we are not in control of. We are, very, we are in control of very little in that process. All we can do is provide the right conditions for the growth and development of the seed. And in the right conditions, the seed germinates. You'll see that sprout pop through and over time grow. So my, my son takes a granny... Smith apple, apple from the grocery store, an organic one, because you can't take a non-organic one and do this. But he took an organic one, stripped the seeds out of it, and wanted to grow more Granny Smith apple trees. So we had to look up, how do we do this for Granny Smith apple trees? Because there's, there's a different process for different plants, right? There's a different way that you can, you can create conditions to help something grow. And so what you need to do is... is, is Apple seeds actually need cold to germinate. They need, a, they need a simulation of winter. And so we put the seeds in this little uh, wet paper towel, and you put that in a bag or a dish, and then you stick it in the fridge for months, literally months. How, do you know how patient you got to be to wait months for something to pop through? Like months. So we did this, and just the other week, they sprouted. Just the other week, they sprouted. We we. We put the right conditions in place for this seed to grow. And so it is with developing our spiritual gifts. And the kingdom of God, as the kingdom principle, is that everything in the kingdom starts from a seed. We need the right conditions for that to grow. So it is with developing our spiritual gifts. The only process that we can control is to cultivate those gifts so that they can sprout to maturity. The only thing that we can control We have very little control on how the gift develops, but we can cultivate the conditions for them to develop so that harvest time we can use them in God's kingdom. We are responsible for things like effort 
and prayerfulness and teachability and a willingness to serve. Those are factors that have great bearing on the maturing of our gifts. Are you a person who is putting in effort to see your gift grow? Are you praying? Are you teachable? Are you willing to serve? Those are great questions to ask ourselves. Now, the other component to developing gifts in the kingdom of God is the principle of stewardship. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus shares the parable of the talents. Another story to illustrate how the kingdom of God works. He says that the kingdom of God is like a man who goes on a journey and he entrusts to his servants his wealth. To one he gives five talents. And a talent was, was about 20 years of a general laborer's wage. To one he gives five talents. To another he gives two talents. To another he gives one. And it says this in the scripture, each according to his ability. And this is super important to know, like just on a practical side of things, super important to know that God gifts us and uses us according to our ability. The kingdom of God, when God set up his church, he did not set it up so that we can compare our ability to one another. He did not gift you in a way and say, now that you have this, look at what you have and compare it to those around. Have you noticed that you have less than others? That's not what, the, that's not what he said. That's not what he illustrates. He gives each according to his ability, and he requires us not to compare, but to be faithful with what we've been given. We've been faithful to be faithful with what he's been given, to steward well what he's entrusted to us. Just so you know, God does not care if you can sing amazingly or not. He doesn't care if you have riches or not. He doesn't care how great you are with technology or not. If, you can, if you're super friendly or not, he's looking for you to be faithful and steward well the thing he's given you. Just so you know, he knows what he's given you. He's not shocked by the fact that you're not like so-and-so. Oh, man, I missed that. He's not shocked because he gifted you that way. He enabled you that way. Let's take a step back. He created you with your personality, your shape, your natural talents. He knows. And he doesn't care if you, what the other person has. He wants you to be faithful with what you have, to be a good steward with what he's given you. So the servant who got five talents, he invests it, he doubles it, comes out with 10. Servant who had two talents, he does the same, comes out with four. And the servant with one was fearful of the man, so he buried it. And when the man returned, he said to those who were entrusted with his wealth and gained more, he said, because you were faithful with a few things, I will entrust you with more. Because God desires the faithful to live in abundance. Abundance in the age to come is cultivated through good stewardship. But to the man who didn't, he called him wicked. He called him lazy. And he took what he had and he gave it to the others. And the point of this story really is that God entrusts his servants with duties, tasks, and gifts. And he desires us to be stewards of what he's given us. And part of what he's entrusted to us is spiritual gifts. 
the enablement of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit in us. So how do we be good stewards of what He's given to us, how He works through us, and cultivate the conditions for those gifts to grow? Because you and me can only cultivate the right conditions for those gifts to grow. I can't just make it double. So how do we develop our gifts? Number one is exposure. I'm going to get very practical here because I think sometimes we come and we're stirred in messages and we're like, that's great. And there's a great life change and God can do some great work. But then we walk out of here and we just we go about our lives. But my hope is that through this, there's actual practical tools that you can put in place to say, okay, I believe God works through me this way. What can I do to actually see that grow? Number one is exposure. It's important that we surround ourselves with people who already operate in the gifts that we have. Observe those who minister in those gifts that you seek to grow in. So if you have a, have a grace to serve, then surround yourself with people who serve well. I got a grace to serve, then surround yourself with people who serve well. If you have a grace to lead, observe those in leadership positions. We need a frame of reference for how the gifts operate. If you go back to the Old Testament, the story of, of Moses and, and the people of Israel, there's this young man named Joshua. And Joshua would follow Moses as Moses entered into the tent of meeting and met with God. And if you read the scripture, it says that even after Moses left, Joshua would remain. And who was the next leader that was entrusted with the people of Israel? Joshua. Joshua exposed himself to Moses' leadership, and that helped him develop into the next leader of Israel. Exposure. Watching to see how people operate in those gifts. Now, it's super important to note, especially when we look at those kind of miraculous gifts, prophecy and words of wisdom and, and healing, that we actually observe those who are reliable and have doctrinal integrity. Now, that doesn't mean maybe you are surrounded by or underneath or near someone who operates and functions in these gifts not very well. That doesn't mean you can't learn. And that doesn't mean you can't grow. You can actually learn what not to do. So David, King David, learned, followed King Saul. And if you know anything about King Saul, he was not the model of leadership. He was not the model of what it means to be a king. But I believe probably that David took note what not to do. Don't throw spears at those who help you in your kingdom. Those who sing to you and play harp to calm you down, don't chuck a spear at them. That's what happened. Saul chucked a spear at David because he was jealous of David. Exposure. The second is like it, mentorship. Now, mentoring can help reduce the distance between where you are right now and where you want to be. So where are you when it comes to how God uses you? And where do you want to be? Find someone that's there that can help you reduce that distance. Elijah would be mentored by the great prophet Elijah, which would help prepare him to succeed Elijah's prophet. The disciples were obviously mentored under Jesus. They did life with him. They sat under his teaching. They observed his ministry to become the apostles of the church. And mentoring can be both intentional and it can be both um, through observation. So I can be in a personal mentoring relationship with somebody. I can have a, a sit-down conversation with someone that has years of experience in whatever area it may be, and I can learn from them, and I can grow. Or I can be mentored through someone who doesn't know me, 
And I don't interact with, but I'm learning from a distance, from afar. So when I first felt in my life at a young, as a young adult to, to speak publicly, to actually teach and preach, I was counseled by a family friend who was mature in faith to literally just soak up preachers. And so I studied preachers, not for so much their content, but for their delivery. Not so that I can mimic and not so I can do exactly them, but so I could find my voice as I, as I tried to develop in this gift that God had given me. And the same is with anything, is, is exposing myself to people both near and far that operate in this way so that I can learn what it means to find myself in, the, in God's kingdom. Mentoring, though, has a proximity level, level to it. The greater the proximity, the greater the potential for growth. The greater the proximity, the greater potential for growth. So if you have a grace to teach children, find someone who teaches children and have them mentor you. Take them out for coffee, buy them lunch, ask them questions. If you have a grace on you to understand technology, find someone from the tech team and have them mentor you to show you how the program, this program operates. Now, there's a couple important things that I want to mention with mentorship because we don't often do these things well, is mentorship needs parameters and boundaries. So don't just expect someone to be your mentor forever, right? Hey, can you meet with me for 30 minutes once a month for the next six months? Give a time constraint to it. And number two is don't wait for someone to come to you. Go to them. Look around. Look around this church. Who is here that can mentor you in all walks, not just spiritual gifts, not just the gift, you're, but all walks? Who is someone that you could sit down with and have coffee with and just ask questions? I'll do that. I do that all the time. I message someone, hey, can I, can I buy you lunch? And just, I just got like five questions I want to ask you. So I want to learn. I want to soak up the knowledge. Number three is prayer. Since the gifts of the Spirit are manifestations of the Spirit moving through us, in order to develop in our gifts, we need to grow in sensitivity to the Spirit. This is super important. All the gifts come from the Holy Spirit, so in order to be used in them consistently, we must grow in sensitivity to the Spirit. Now, I don't know if about you, but I've, I've heard a lot of that those terms kind of thrown around in my time in church. And a lot of times I had no idea what they meant. You hear these Christianese, these terminologies that are kind of used, and you're like, that sounds really spiritual, but I don't know what it means. What do you mean by sensitivity to the Spirit? I mean having a very uh, a mind and a heart that is, that, is, that is clear to discern what the Spirit is speaking and saying. You can, kind of, you can hear that voice through the mud. Like a family member who might be speaking out in a crowd. You can pick moms, you can pick your kid's voice out in a crowd when they say mom. You might turn to the mom, but you know when it's your kid's voice, right? You know when it's your family member's voice. Someone, someone calls you back in the day, because we don't call anymore, we text, but remember back in the day when someone would call you and you didn't have caller ID? Or maybe, maybe you're like me and you don't have caller ID, but you see the number, but you don't know anybody's number anymore. But you pick up the phone and you know who's on the other end because you recognize their voice, right? You've sat with them enough, you've talked with them enough, you hear their voice. It is the same in growing in sensitivity to the Spirit. And growing in sensitivity to the Spirit happens in prayer. 
Prayer is the building block of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I'm really talking about that quiet prayer and solitude where we intentionally sit with God. I love what Pastor Zoe was saying in communion, just that silent prayer, because we don't do that well. When, when, I'm, when I'm talking about growing in sensitivity to the Spirit, I'm not talking about just having a, a, a mode of prayer throughout your day where you, you say a prayer, you know, as you wake up and as you go, you know, these quick little fires off. I'm talking about sitting with Jesus. And silence is a great start. We actually were just in pre-service prayer. I just see a, scene, a theme here. We were talking about the same thing of just sitting and God's presence is silent. And a lot of times when you do that, you won't hear anything. But as you're practicing that art of silence, you're actually shifting your mind and your heart and the way your body works in those modes. From someone who finds it to be eerie and awkward, and like, I don't do silence well, to someone who can actually sit and just be like, okay, God, what are you saying here? Because we have so much noise that comes into our life that we don't do silence well. But boredom, remember when boredom was a thing? Like that was actually a thing back in the day. There were times where you were just bored and you had to do something with the space, with the emptiness. But those are beautiful spaces for the Spirit of God to actually speak because you have nothing else competing for your attention. But in today's world, we have so much competing for attention. I'll, I'll use a terrible example for myself. I don't like to admit it, but I got a small addiction to my cell phone. So much so that I will be working and I'll just naturally, won't even think about it, but I'll grab my phone as to go to look at, at it. And I'm like, wait a second. I didn't even think about it. It's just like the addiction kicks in. I need the dopamine hit. I need to fill the space, Right? But if we can find spaces or intentionally create spaces, force time to sit in quiet prayer with God, we will grow in sensitivity to the Spirit, which allows Him to use us in certain gifts in the places we want to be used. If we want to be used in the public space, i got to build it in the private space. Prayer. A quick little outline for you, 15 minutes of prayer. If you're like, I don't do this or I don't do this well, what can I do? Really quick for you, 15 minutes, divide it by three. Any time allotment, divide it by three. The first five minutes, just sit in silence and set a timer on your watch or on your phone or on your stove so that you don't have to think, what time is it? What time is it? Five minutes, just sit in silence. Empty your mind so that God can speak. The second five minutes is read scripture. Let God speak to you before you speak to him, okay? Read scripture. For five minutes, a psalm maybe, a proverb. One of my practices that I've been trying to get into, I heard a, a mentor of mine from afar do this. I thought, I'm going to give that a try. Is he sits in a psalm for a week. I, w- I grew up on the whole read a psalm a day and a proverb a day, and I would try to do that. But then it, you feel like you're just getting so much in that nothing sticks, right? You with me? You read so much sometimes scripture, you feel like nothing sticks. So I, I started this habit of just sitting in a psalm for about a week. I read the same thing every day. And then, and then out of that psalm, one part locks into me where the Spirit of God wants to speak. But you take five minutes and you let God speak to you through Scripture, through silence first. And then the final five minutes is you use for praying for the needs that you have or supplication for others or praying in the Spirit. And if you really are eager, take another five minutes after that and sit in silence again and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. 
And then what I would do is I would double the time. When you get accustomed to that, instead of 15 minutes, do 30 minutes, triple it, 45 minutes. And you will find yourself getting to an hour very quickly. Now you may be sitting there and say, I don't have an hour. I don't have that amount of time. My life is busy. I get it. I understand. We got a lot of young kids running around our house. We have a busy life. So you create space and show yourself grace. Like, I think God is a very gracious God, and he's not like, oh, you didn't give me the first 15 minutes of your day. I think it's very important to sharpen your sword in the morning, but sometimes that doesn't happen. So find space. God's got grace for you when you just sit in time with him. Create space. Be intentional about it. Force yourself to do it because naturally you do not want to do it spiritually. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Prayer, number three is, or sorry, number four is learn. Simply learning about how the gifts are used in scripture and throughout history. What was their purpose? What did they accomplish? Where were they used and where were they not used? There are occurrences in scripture where spiritual gifts are not utilized by the apostles. So there are spaces to use the gifts and there are spaces not to use the gifts. In Acts chapter 15, there was a major question posed to the church in Jerusalem, and there was the leaders present. Paul was there. James was there. And they did not use prophecy, and they did not use words of knowledge and those spiritual gifts to determine what they should do. Is They just had a discussion. They had a discussion. They deliberated. They heard from each other. They listened, and they came to a conclusion. It's important to learn where spiritual gifts can be used and not used, especially those, those miraculous gifts. You do not use prophecy and conflict. When you're having a fight with a, with a spouse, don't say, well, God told me, because even if he did, they're probably not going to listen, right? If you look at scripture, when Paul talks about the gifts, these are used to edify, to build up, to encourage, sometimes to challenge, but to encourage. There are spots for the gifts to be used. There are spots not. So how are the gifts used? Learn. Read the scriptures. Study the scriptures. Find out where to use them. Number five, I'm going to invite the, um, Amy, if you could come up at this time, is desire. Have a strong, serious desire to be used by God and to glorify him is more often going to be a motivation for those who have grown in those gifts and are operating in those gifts. When you look at someone who is operating and flowing in gifts of the Spirit, and that could be anything, whatever gift it is that you would like to be used in, when you see someone operating in that, more often than not, a motivating factor for them was that they had an eager desire. They had a strong desire. They were hungry to be used by God. Are you hungry to be used by God? I think one of the biggest factors in the church today that has determined why we are not seeing the Spirit move through us as much as we'd like is because we're not hungry for it. We're satisfied. We've quenched our thirst. We've fed our bellies with the world. And, huh? I don't know. I'm quite comfortable with my life. If we are comfortable with our lives, there's a problem. I love comfort, and I want comfort. I was, I've been going through a, a season of, of, of discontentment. I was meeting with a counselor. Yes, I meet with counselors. I think it's important. And it's okay to be in discontentment. 
because sometimes we find ourselves in, in comfortability and actually prohibits us from doing the things that God has created, designed, and called us to do. When you're comfortable in your life, you don't want to be used by God. I'm not hungry for God. I'm not hungry for him to move through me. Because I've satisfied it with working all day, I get my paycheck, go home and watch Netflix, eat a good meal, have a good sleep, wake up, do the same thing again. Oh, but you don't know the show that I'm in. I'm in a good show right now. You got to watch this series. Hey, that's fine. I love it. Lord of the Rings series just started on Amazon Prime. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan here. But if I satisfy the longings of my heart with things of this world, then I will not be hungry to be used by God and operate spiritual things. God is looking for hungry people. People who say that this world is not enough and this life is not enough, but I, I see you, Lord. Thank you for seeing me, for saving me, for healing me, for working in me. Now use me. I want to be used by you. If we go back to the stewardship thing, guess what? One day he will return. The man will come back and he's going to take an account of what you did with what he entrusted you with. Did you bury it because you'd rather watch Netflix? Netflix is not sinful or wrong. I'm not trying to harp on Netflix. Did you bury the gift because you were comfortable? Or were you hungry enough to say, God, I, I, you've entrusted me with this. Help me develop this. I, wanna, I got a desire to grow in this. You have to have a desire to grow. Now, one way to grow in desire, you say, I don't have a desire, but I want a desire. I don't have a hunger, but I want a hunger. How do we grow in desire is by doing the spiritual practices. Prayer, fasting, Sabbath, solitude feeds your spirit. And as you feed your spirit, you will grow in desire for spiritual things. Fasting is a, a great practice I think for 21st century Christians to start again because you have to deliberately deny the things that your flesh wants, food, <laughs> for sake of something more. And that is really hard, but if you can fast, not for dietary purposes, but if you can fast to say, I, I'm really hungry right now, and you can learn to deny yourself that way, you will learn to deny yourself in other ways for the Spirit. Spiritual practices, desire. Do you desire? Are you hungry to be used by God? Is somebody hungry to be used by God? And finally, number six, and we're going to close with this one, is faith. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we live by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Sometimes the, the pathway to discovering and developing our gifts is really challenging and hard or hard to see. Because we can't see it, we just sit out. We say, well, I'll just let those guys do it. I'll let God use them instead. Maybe God didn't gift me because I don't sing like them, I don't play like them, and I don't speak like them. I'm a person that sits in the chair. Well, maybe I should start preaching from a chair. I'll sit in the middle. 
if that stirs your heart to realize that it's not about people on here, I'll dismantle the stage because I don't give a rip that we're on a stage. It just helps you see better. But sometimes it's difficult, so we just kind of sit on the sidelines and we say, well, I can't see what, what God has for me or where he's leading me or how he can use me in this way. So I'm just, I'm just going to sit back. I'm not like them. But Paul says, and the scriptures say, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one, not to certain ones, to each one. Guess what? We fail as a church if all we do is come and listen to a preacher preach. The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. The shoulder cannot say that I, I have no need of you. We are a body and everybody plays a part. Yes, you, even you. Even me? Yes, you. And sometimes the most crucial parts of the body are the parts that you don't see. Have you ever like had a rotor cuff issue? I don't ever see that part of my shoulder, but when it starts flaring up, all of a sudden I can't move my whole arm. I'm not seeing great you get double honor then. We're already honored when you're seen. But we're a body and we fail. We fail at our task. We're handicapped when each of us doesn't play our part. I think the church is handicapped today. Because we come with a consumer mindset as opposed to a generous one. What can I get? Well, that church didn't feed me or that message didn't feed me. <sighs> I'm just not getting anything there. And I understand sometimes that it's part of that. But I don't read that. I don't read that. Come to give. How can I contribute? How can I contribute? Faith. Faith. Somewhere along the journey of discovery and development, there must be a step of faith to move in what God has made available to you. And you will not see the manifestations of the Spirit in your life unless you believe that God has anointed you and He's gifted you and He can move through you. You've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. So I was thinking about this in worship. This story kept coming back to me in the scriptures. Jesus and the disciples, they had just fed 5,000 men, including men and or women and children. It's probably 15 to 20,000 people that were fed. And they were exhausted. And Jesus sends them in the boat ahead of them to cross the lake. He goes onto a mountain to pray. And as he's up in the mountain praying, he looks down and he sees them straining at the oars, the scriptures say against the wind and the waves. They're being buffeted by the, the, the storm. So Jesus comes along. He starts walking on the water. You know the story, right? Jesus walking on the water. And all of a sudden, the disciples, never, ever experiencing someone walking on water before, that would be a shocking thing to see. It's a ghost. I don't know if I'd say it's a ghost, but I'd be flipping out, right? I'd be like, oh, what goodness? It's me. Guys, it's me. And then Peter, one guy, Peter. Remember Peter? He has the audacity to say, if that's you, 
let me come to you. Okay, pause for a moment. Backtrack. They're in like rough seas right now. They've been straining. They're exhausted, probably fighting against the wind and the waves. They see what appears to be a ghost walking on the water. That's just enough to set your emotions and everything just like in disarray. And Peter has enough faith to say, if that's you, let me come to you. What does Jesus say? You know what Jesus says to him? Come. Come. Lord, if you are who you say you are, and you've gifted me, and you've enabled me, and you can use me, let me come. Come. The invitation of Jesus is to have faith. Peter's never walked on water before. He's never tried it before. Never done it. Never seen it done. He wasn't privy to the magicians in our generation who put glass under the water and then could walk on it, right? He didn't see any tricks before. He's never seen it modeled. He's not been exposed to it except for right now. He sees Jesus doing it. And so he's like, if that's you, let me come. I got faith to believe that if you tell me to come, I can come. So what does Jesus say? Come. And I think the invitation is to the church today to come. Have faith that God can use you. Because the scriptures say he's built a church, a body, not a pastor and a worship team. A body. Come. Have faith that he can use you. Yes, you. Me? Yes, you. He can use you. But I'm not like, that doesn't matter. He's entrusted you with certain gifts, talents, and abilities. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to take an account. What would you do with what I gave you? Did you have faith to believe that I could use you? But I'm not young anymore, so what? But I have not yet reached call. It doesn't matter. I'm too young. I'm too old. Stop. Come. He says, come. Do you got faith? to believe that he can use you? I got faith that he could use you. You say, well, I'm new to all this. I don't, I'm just trying to comprehend what this all means. That's okay. But if you have faith and a desire to just take a step, take a step. Take a step. You can walk in what God has put in you if you take a faith step. Just stand. We're going to pray. My challenge for you as we leave today is consider how to create the conditions in your life to see the gift that God has put in you grow. How do you create the conditions to help your gift grow and be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you? Because the test at the end of the day is not, is not coming to me and I'm like, oh, so-and-so didn't do it. <laughs> so, but God's entrusted you with his wealth. Isn't that amazing? With his wealth. Guess what the wealth is? The Holy Spirit. He's like, I'm going to put, imagine, imagine the God, this is what I imagine. This is where my brain goes. The God is sitting there with his counsel in the heavenly realm, the angels. He says, here's my plan, guys. Holy Spirit's going to go down there. He's going to live inside them. In them? Yes. Why? Oh, I'm gonna tr- they can be entrusted with my wealth. With the Spirit? Have you seen these people? 
They're broken. They're sinful. They mess up. They fall short. They rebel. It's okay. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again, break the power of sin, and I'm going to put myself in them. What exists in you is the power and ability to accomplish the task. And it is a insult to our creator to say you don't have the gifts or abilities to be used by God because the anointing is not a a certain gift although he operates sometimes that way through us the anointing is the Holy Spirit it's himself in you the Holy Spirit in you I don't have what it takes to be up here, but the Holy Spirit in me. You don't have what it takes to serve, but the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have what it takes to speak prophetically, but the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have what it takes to offer blank, but the Holy Spirit in you. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we just receive your Holy Spirit once again. Holy Spirit, fill us again and anew. And for those who are here today, maybe they're hearing this for the first time, Would you stir a hunger and a desire in them? Would you draw them closer and nearer, Lord? For those who maybe have been around for a while, would you stir our hunger and our desire once again, our faith, God? Would you help us recall that you've entrusted us with a gift, a spirit to be used for your namesake and help us to create the conditions, God, to see these gifts develop and grow the seeds you've placed in us in Jesus' name. Lord, we bless you. We exalt you, God. We're thankful that you choose to use us in these ways. Help us discover and develop and use the gifts you've given us for your glory, for the tasks set before us, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Listen, I'm, I get passionate up here because I truly believe you can do it. So God bless you. And may you take a chance and a, and, a, and a faith step and move towards how God can use you. Amen? God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.